Well, uh, good morning and welcome. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Good to have you guys with us. If you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome. Especially glad to have you. Uh, We are on the front end of a new series this fall, taking a look at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And I'm really excited about our study this fall. It's been something I've been wanting for us to study through for for as long as we started the church. I've been wanting for us to get to these chapters. Because I think they are just so important so critically foundational to our faith. And what we've seen the past couple of weeks is that the reason why these early chapters in the book of Genesis are so foundational to our faith is not because they show us the scientific how of creation, but because they show us the who of creation. You see, these early chapters in Genesis, they are, like, they are incredibly important because they are about revealing the Creator. They're about revealing God and who he is and what he is like. And so these chapters, they tell us a lot about who God is and what he's like and and understanding who God is and why he created the world. That really changes everything about us. It changes how we relate to God. It changes how we relate to the world that we find ourselves in. You see, the how of creation, it's really interesting, but the who and the why are the transformative things about creation. Because the who and the why, they have, everything to show with, with, they have everything to show us about our identity and our purpose. See, the questions we all have about our identity and our purpose are some of the most profound and important questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives. Maybe you are here this morning, and you are asking those questions. Like this week, you're asking those questions. And what we see in Genesis is that the answers to those questions about our identity and our purpose, they're ultimately, they're ultimately found not in looking forward, not in our dreams about the future, but they're found, the answers to those questions are found by looking backwards at where we are from. You see, on some level, we all intuitively know that. People have always been interested in where they are from. People who have been adopted, they are often are really curious, they kind of seek out and find where their family is and who they're from and all those kinds of things. If, if you moved uh, as a little kid or, and moved somewhere else, you, you often try to go back to that town where you moved. You want to just see what it's like and, and see, what, see what it's all about. More recently, it feels like half of the YouTube videos I watch have ads for DNA testing services that can tell you the exact percentage of Mongolian descent you have and, or whatever it is. Like They can tell everything about you and like why you like pizza or something like that. Because of your DNA. So that we, and these, these things are just popping up everywhere. You see, the, the truth is that origins matter to us. Origins matter to us because where we come from shapes a lot about who we are and where we are going. Where we come from shapes a lot about who we are and where we are going. That's why whenever you meet somebody, you ask them, where are you from? Why do you ask that question? We, we want to know where you are from because it helps us to understand who you are. When you find out someone is from Minnesota, you're like, well, that explains a lot about why you are constantly depressed watching every sport other than women's basketball, right? <laughs> or when you find out that I was born in Tennessee, it gives you some insight into why there is sweet tea at every meal you have at my house, right? Where we come from, it, it, it informs who we are. And when you know where you're from, It helps to explain where you're going, and it helps explain life in the middle. And so if we don't know where we come from, if we don't know where we're going, it's going to be really hard to identify what's our identity and what is our purpose. It's going to be hard to figure out why we're here. And what is incredibly good news is that God and his word, they meet us in that search. Genesis opens by answering that very 
question. As we'll see today as we study, God tells us where we are from. Genesis tells us where we come from. It tells us more than that where we come from. Genesis tells us who we come from. Genesis tells us that we come from God, that we are made in his image. And that truth changes everything about us. It is such a big deal, in fact, that we're going to actually spend the next four weeks doing kind of a mini-series on the image of God and the implications and the meaning of that for our lives. But as we study God's word this morning, what I want to see is that understanding and living in light of being made in the image of God, it fundamentally informs and transforms our identity and our purpose and our relationships. You see, being made in the image of God fundamentally informs and transforms our understanding of who we are and why we are here and how we live out that calling in relationship to the rest of the world and to the rest of creation More than anything this morning, what I want you to see is that that is really good news. What I want your heart to be met with and encouraged by is that because humanity is made in the image of God, that changes everything, and it is really, really good. And so with that in mind, let's pray this morning as we begin our study in God's Word, and we'll dive in to our passage this morning. Jesus, we are so grateful for you. We are so grateful for your Word. God, and we just come this morning, can we just say, we need you. We need, I need you to fill me so that what I have to teach is from you and not just empty words of mine. God, we need you to make us, to give our hearts uh, a teachability and a softness that we can hear from you. God, we just say, like, we need your word to, we need you to speak to us through your word, and we are so grateful that you promised that you will. And so, God, we just come humbly asking that your word would teach and correct and change our hearts as we put ourselves under the authority of your word. God, I pray that that would be good news for us, and ultimately it would lead to your glory this morning. pray these things in your good name, God. Amen. Amen. Well, the past few weeks, uh, we, uh, as we opened our series, we've been taking a look at uh, all of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, all the way actually up through uh, chapter 2, verse 3, kind of the, the creation account. And today what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in uh, on day 6, so that's the end of chapter 1, because something really unique, something really important happens on day 6. And I want to spend some time this morning talking about that. We're in Genesis 1, beginning in verse 24. God said, let, there be, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, and the livestock and the creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26 here. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And God said, I give to you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, it will be yours for food. And all the vegetarians rejoiced. And, and to all the beasts of the earth and to the birds in the sky and to all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. 
You see, what we see in our passage this morning is that something really unique happens on day six of creation. There's something really unique about the creation of day six, especially as it relates to mankind. The text really highlights that for us. In verse 26, the pattern changes. The rhythm of our text on all the days so far is day one, day two, day three. It's all begun. And God said, let there be. Let there be light and sky and water. Let there be plants and creatures. And now in verse 26, that pattern, it abruptly changes. And it goes from let there be to let us make mankind. You see, God wants to make sure that we don't miss the significance of what he is about to tell us. As one commentator writes, this pause, this announcement, it signalizes the creation of humankind as the most momentous of all of God's creative acts. You see, humankind is the culmination, it is the grand finale of God's creative work, because unlike any other part of creation, what verse 26 and 27 tells us is that mankind is made in the image of God. What we said the last two weeks is that Genesis 1, it is all about revealing the creator. What we see here and throughout the Bible is that the point of creation is to reveal the creator. Psalm 19, verse 1, it echoes this truth when it says, The heavens, they declare the glory of God, and the skies, they proclaim the work of his hands. You see, in its beauty and in its intricacy and in its magnitude and in its wonder, the creation, it reveals something about God. It shows us something about the one who made it. And what we see here in verses 26 and 27 is that in a distinct and unique way, mankind reveals something about the creator in a way that no other part of creation does. Mankind reflects something about God. And what the passage makes abundantly clear is that that is a really big deal. That is a really big deal. Three times in two verses, All in slightly different ways, it repeats that mankind is made in the image of God. And when something gets repeated, you know it's important. And in Hebrew literature, when the pattern, when the rhythm of a text changes and something is repeated, it's like the flashing stop sign with the LEDs around it, right? That is like, hello, pay attention, make sure you stop. This is really important for you to pay attention to. So Genesis 1 is really highlighting the fact that humanity is made in the image of God. And so the question that we need to ask then is, what does that mean? What does that mean? And why is it so important? Well, the fancy theological word for this idea is called the imago Dei. And i got to throw a fancy few words every once in a while in so you guys make it feel like you get your money's worth on Sundays. But that, the Majo Dei, it's a topic, it's just as Latin for the image of God, and it's a topic that theologians have spent a lot of pages writing about, a, a lot, a lot of pages have been written about this. But I think there are two key things that the passage shows us this morning about what it means to bear the image of God that I want us to, that I really want us to focus on. And the first and foremost is that the image of God is something that all humans possess, it is something inherent to who we are. Verse 26 says it this way, that God made mankind in his image, in his likeness. You see, the image of God is something that is inherent in every person, everywhere, at all times. It is a part of the definition of what it means to be a human. This is tr- true regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of culture or wealth or strength or ability or disability. Every human ever is made in the image of God. And they possess that inherent nature. 
Now, to be clear, what we possess is not the physical likeness of God. The Bible teaches that God is spirit. Rather, what humanity possesses, as one commentator puts, I thought this was so helpful, it says, it is a physical manifestation of God's essence. What that means is that unlike any other part of creation, we have the capacity to know God and to reflect God's nature and his character and to relate to the rest of creation on his behalf as his representatives. And this is because unlike an animal or a tree or a rock, you and I, we have a spirit, an immaterial, non-physical part of our being which can relate to God and which can relate to his creation. You and I have a soul. You and I, we are not just meat There is a spiritual aspect to our being. I have a dog. His name is Cooper. I love my dog. Cooper does not have a soul. Because the reason why that is the case is because Cooper is not made in the image of God. That's the distinction that is there. See, humanity is uniquely like God and able to reflect him in ways no other part of creation can. And that leads us to the second thing that the passage highlights about what it means to bear the image of God. What we see in verse end of 26 and in verse 28, we see that the, the, our identity as image bearers of God is tied directly to our activity as image bearers of God. Our identity as image bearers of God is tied to our activity as image bearers of God. Verse 26 says it this way, God makes us in his image so that we can rule over creation. Verse 27, God tells Adam and Eve to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to rule over it. And we're going to talk a little bit more later this morning about what that means. But for now, what I I want to highlight is that our identity as image bearers of God is tied to our activity as image bearers of God. In other words, the image of God is not something that we just possess It is something that we embody in what we do. The image of God is not only something we possess, it is something we embody in what we do. One commentator explains it this way. He says, while a baby may be affirmed to be in the image of his father, few can recognize that image. And based on the inherent image and the relationship of the father, that that child grows more and more recognizable as the child matures. And this doesn't always take place in a physical way, but rather in a way that, in which the child mirrors the attitudes and expressions and character traits of his or her father. Jen Wilkin, in her, uh, in her study on Genesis, she echoes this when she says, being image bearers of God is about reflecting who God is in the way that we interact with creation as he does. Ultimately, she says, this is about looking like Jesus. And so as we live for God, as we worship him with lives that reflect his nature and his character, what we're doing is we are imaging him. We are reflecting him. My daughter, Emma, she is wildly creative. You give that girl 15 seconds and she will have 17 art projects made for you, right? If you come over to our house, I'm sure you have been given an art project. Or as parents, we have attempted to give you them because they are overflowing out of every part of our house, right? But I love to encourage her creativity, I'd love to encourage her, her creativity because in her creativity, what she is doing is she is bearing the image of her creative maker. And I don't just want to encourage her creativity. I want to remind her and I want to show her where that comes from and why it's important. As we enjoy the sunset or as we are amazed by bugs that wander across our driveway, I want to remind her, isn't God so creative? Isn't he wonderfully creative in his creation hasn't he made such beautiful things does she get that connection yet she's four no she just wants to doodle right she just wants to color but one day i one day she will one day she will get the connection that her love for creativity and her imagination and her love for beauty and color 
That's a way in which she images her creator. John Calvin says it this way, we are like mirrors that reflect something of God into the earth. You see, so in these two ways, in our inherent possession of the image of God and in our ongoing embodiment of the image of God, humanity reflects something about the creator in ways that no other part of creation does, and that truth has far-reaching implications. Like I said, we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about some of that, but this morning what I want to highlight is three things. First, being made is the image of God. It informs and transforms our identity and our value and our worth. All people have infinite dignity and infinite value and infinite worth because all people are made in God's image. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Your value and your worth are immeasurable, not because of what you do or not because of what you can accomplish, but because of whose image you bear. That is true for every person in every nation, in every country, in every time, always. What that means practically for you is that your identity comes from the fact that you have been made in the image of God. This is so liberating. It is so freeing because what it means is that you don't need to go prove yourself to people to get them to give you your value or your dignity or your worth. You automatically have it by virtue of being God's image bearers. Whether you are healthy or sick, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are black or white or born or unborn, whether you are old or single or married, or whether you are brilliant or whether you are like me are rather simple. All of us bear the image of God, and so we are immeasurably valuable because we bear the image of our creator whose value, you need to hear this, who his value is beyond measure. And so you bear his image, and so your value is beyond measure. You see, that truth has power to really transform our lives. That truth has power to really transform our lives. You see, I just need you to hear this. If you are here this morning and you have ever been told that you are worthless or you have ever been treated as though you are worthless or you have ever felt as though you are worthless, you just need to hear that is a lie from the pits of hell. You bear the image of the king of the universe. You can have no greater dignity and value and worth. And I just need you to hear this. Your identity is not found in what others say about you. And more importantly, your identity is not found in what you say about yourself. Your identity is found in who God says you are. The word he speaks over creation. At the end of verse 31, he speaks. He looked at creation. He said it was very good. That is the word that is spoken over us. See, I especially want the young women in this, in our, here this morning to hear this. I have a daughter. I pray about this for her often. Ladies, you must treat yourselves as God does. You must value yourself highly as he does. You must have high expectations for how men treat you. You must understand your value and your worth before God in such a way that when little boys who can shave, who just want to get something from you, when they come to you, what you'll say is, I am not impressed. And I don't need your validation. I have the honor and the dignity of the king of the universe. God has imparted to you a value and a dignity and a worth that you should let no one abuse or take advantage of. In our world, you, I just need you to hear that. 
You see, being made in the image of God, it transforms our identity. It transforms our worth and our value in ways that nothing else can. And this is so important. It does so not at the expense of leaving us as prideful, arrogant people, nor at the expense of giving us despair. Instead, it keeps us in this safe place in the middle where we neither despair nor are consumed by pride, where we rather are humbly and joyfully made in the image of God. And that brings us to the second thing that being made in the image of God informs and transforms, and it's our, our purpose or our calling. You see, our world promotes a story of expressive individualism where self-expression and self-actualization are the highest values. That, that is the ultimate ideal it's a story that when followed, it just leaves us running on the never-ending hamster wheel of self-actualization. Though, Because what we endlessly find over and over and over and over again is that life and satisfaction and meaning and purpose cannot be found within ourselves or in the expression of ourselves because what Genesis tells us is we were made for something much greater. One author writes it this way. He says, God holds out a better promise. In the Bible, what we find is that God made us in his image, so we are therefore made by him and for him. By definition, being an image bearer of God means that this life and this world is not ultimately about us. We are not at the center. We are not the most important. And that sometimes it rubs us the wrong way, but it's, it's really good for us. Because if you've ever been at the center of stuff, what you realize is that that weight, you don't like that weight. You don't like the burden of that. Eventually that becomes weary. Rather, what the Bible tells us is that our identity as God's image bearers, it tells us that our purpose isn't about us at all. It's actually about God. It's found in living for God and reflecting his glory and goodness to the world. One pastor writes it this way. He says, we are God's image bearers, and so we are to think thoughts that reflect the glory of God, and we are to feel feelings that reflect the glory of God, and we are to speak words that reflect the glory of God, and we are to do deeds that reflect the glory of God, and we are to treat our body as stewards in such a way that reflects the glory of God. And what the beauty of that is, is that when we live in that way, you will be happy. That's where joy comes from, because what we do is we find joy when we live out the purpose that God has made us for. When we live in the design that God has given to us, that is the most life-giving, joyful place we can possibly be. Now, what I'm not saying is that it's wrong to find some meaning or purpose in areas of your life that God hasn't called you into, whether that's being a parent or a spouse or whether that's your job or, or even in your ways that you serve your community or you serve others. The truth is, though, is that when we put when we look to those things as our ultimate source of our identity or our ultimate place of meaning and purpose, we set ourselves up for temporary happiness and repeating disaster. You see, all of those things can be taken away. And on some level, all of those things are out of our control. You see, people can die. Jobs can be lost. Service can be unvalued. But what happens when you lose the thing that you found your meaning and purpose in? What happens when that thing is taken away or you're no longer worthy of it? You start that long, arduous, and painful journey all over again of finding that, searching for that, or you just give up. You see, the good news of Genesis is that our meaning and our purpose is not found in something that can be taken away. They're found in the unchanging identity and calling that we have as God's image bearers. It's not something that can ever be taken away by anyone or anything. And what, this is such good news because what it does is it gives meaning and purpose to every part of life, even the mundane and painful parts of life. 
Maybe you are a mom and you have chosen to stay home with your kids, but what you really want to do is you want to be back in the corporate world again. You just feel really unproductive. And the good news is that your meaning and your purpose is not wrapped up in where you work or in what you accomplish, but it is wrapped up in whose image you bear and who you represent. And so if your work is ultimately unto the Lord, then there is life-giving purpose and meaning in changing diapers and reminding your kid for the three trillionth time to just say, please. There's meaning and there is purpose in that. Maybe you're in a job that you just are really not excited about and you find it hard to be engaged and to, and to really give your all to something like that. It's hard to be invested in it. But when your purpose is, reflect, is to reflect the creator, you can find motivation and meaning in any task because your task and your purpose in any small thing is that you might live for the one whose image you bear that you might, in your attitudes and in your actions and in your character, that you might reflect his glory. Maybe you are sick, or you know someone who is sick and has left them in pain or has left them just helpless, dependent on others. Instead of being able to help or bring something to the table, they need others to help them. Because the question is, is, has that person, has they lost their meaning? Have they lost their purpose? Well, if their identity is wrapped up in being image of bearers of God, then no, because you Your purpose cannot be taken away. It just gets worked out in new ways. Even in sickness, we get to the opportunity to point to the one who has made us and to point our hope to the one who will one day renew our failing bodies with unfailing ones. Do you see how different this is? Do you see how different this identity and calling is from the way this world likes to talk about it? The doctrine of the Imago Dei, it doesn't just change our identity and our purpose. It informs and transforms the way we live those things out in relationship to the, to the creator and to the rest of creation. Being made in the image of God means that we are distinct from both creator and creation. Genesis 1 and 2 teaches really clear that we are made between God and between the animals, lower than God, but higher than the animals. And it's so important to know our place in the created order because when we don't, we err in two ways. If we either think too highly of humanity, that we can rule the world and fix our problems and save ourselves and that we are wise and brilliant and powerful and that we have everything that we need and we think that we are little gods. Or like Sigmund Freud often did, that we are just, we're nothing more than animals. We're just slaves to our basic urges and our basic instincts, and that's all that really drives us. But the truth is that we are not animals, and that we are not gods. We are people who are made in the image of God, who are intended to be his representatives here on earth. And when we relate to God rightly as his valued, commissioned image bearers, we relate rightly to the rest of creation. And that includes other image bearers of God and nature. You see, it's not just you who bears the image of God. It is every person who bears the image of God. Matt Chandler, I think, just really insightfully points this out. You would be hard-pressed to find an injustice or an oppression that does not have at its root a failure to understand or apply the image of God. The oppression of women and the hindrance of the flourishing of women in our society is an image of God issue. There is no greater sex. There is no more valuable sex. There is no more useful sex. Genesis 26 says that God made men and women in his image. Both bear the image of God equally. 
slavery was an image of God issue. In majority opinion in the famous 1857 Dred Scott case, the Supreme Court denied the freedom of Scott and ruled that slaves were inferior and had no rights which the white man was bound to respect and that the Negro might justly and lawfully be reduced to slavery for his benefit. And when we read that, we just think, that is horrific. <laughs> like, how, how did anyone ever think that? But did you hear the justification? Did you hear the justification in the Supreme Court's ruling back in 1850? It said slaves were inferior, and they had no rights which must be respected. You see, that ruling is not just horrific. It is an absolute affront to the image of God who teaches that all people have value and dignity and worth that is equal because all people are made in his image. In his dissenting opinion, Justice John McLean, he stated the same thing. He said, a slave is not mere chattel. He bears the impress of his maker. You see, the argument against slavery is not just social betterment. The argument against slavery is an image of God issue. But it's not just slavery that is an image of God's issue. It's also the prejudice and the profiling of people of color that is so prominent in this, in this country that is an image of God issue as well. See, tragically, this is sometimes intentional choice. But more often, it is just a simple unawareness of our bias. But whether we realize it or not, we rob people of their dignity and their worth as image bearers of God. When we do those things, you see, we need to grow in our awareness of this because the image of God is what is at stake and it matters. Furthermore, the ever-growing use of pornography is an image of God issue because when we look at people as objects to be consumed, what we do is we strip them of their value and their dignity and worth as image bearers of God and we are sinning against them and against God and the truth is that we are absolute fools if we believe that the ever-growing statistics of pornography are unrelated to the statistics of rape and molestation and sexual abuse, those things are not unrelated. You see, it only takes so long before your soul is too sick to separate the consumption of people in the virtual world from the consumption of people in the physical world. You see, how we view and how we treat people, it says something very significant about how we value God, whose image they bear. You see, the sad truth is that some of us, the sad truth is that many people, they treat their pets with more value and dignity than they do people made in God's image. And this is just an aside here. I'm not trying to call anybody out. I know a lot of us here at River City, we have pets. That is great. I have a dog. I love my dog. I'm so grateful for him. He brings lots of joy to our family. But you need to hear this. People must always be more important than pets. People must always be more important than pets. You see, if you ever wonder why our dog is in his kennel when you come over to our house, there's a few reasons. One, he's a spaz muffin, right? The dog is just like a tongue on legs that just, right? But two, and more importantly, I know there are just many people who are just not comfortable around dogs, or they just don't want to get licked. And unless I know you really well, Cooper is going to be in his kennel because welcoming you into my home is wildly more important than Cooper's freedom to do whatever he wants to do. You see, people are made in the image of God. Cooper is not. And that doesn't mean we abuse Cooper. It doesn't mean that we treat him poorly. 
He has lots of toys and lots of love and lots of jerky sticks, right? But what it does mean is there is ever a choice between people and pets. People will win every time. People win every time because people are made in the image of God. That must inform and transform the way that we relate to every part of creation. You see, being made in the image of God informs and transforms our relationships with other image bearers, but it also changes our relationship with the rest of creation as well. Verse 27 and 28 says this, that God's image bearers, we are called to rule over creation as his representatives. What this means is that we don't worship nature, but it also means we don't abuse it either, because neither of those things accurately reflect the character of the one whose image we bear and the one who we represent. One commentator writes it this way, to rule implies lordship, but not exploitation. It legitimizes human use of the world's resources, but gives no license for our abuse of God's creation. You see, when our identity and when our purpose is wrapped up in being image bearers of God, we see ourselves as stewards of his creation. And so we are both able to care for and to enjoy the world that he has made because we see it as not our own. We are stewards of God's world, of his creation. And so as Christians, we are opposed to animal cruelty and we are on the team of recycling because this world is not our own. It's not ours. And to care for this world and the creation which God has made in a way that God has done is what honors him and what reflects his image. Are you beginning to see how deep this goes? Are you starting to see why being made in the image of God is such a big deal? Are you starting to see why Genesis 1 puts the flashing LED stop sign on this truth? You see, the image of God, the imago Dei, it transforms our identity and our purpose and our relationship. It, it changes everything. But the truth is that you and I, we fail to understand and live in light of being made in God's image all the time. We fail all the time to live in light of those truths. Like our first father, Adam, we fail to reflect and mirror God's image and to honor that image in others. As we'll see in a few weeks, the reason that that is, Genesis 3 says, is because we are marred by sin. Sin has cracked our proverbial mirrors. But there is one who came who perfectly reflected the image of God. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being. You see, where we failed to live out our identity and calling as God's image bearers, Jesus did not. And he did it for us. On our behalf. One pastor put it this way Through sin, we threw the mirror on the ground and it broke. And Jesus, through salvation, starts to put that mirror back together. To be a Christian, then, is to be one who is to be made by the Spirit's power more and more imaged after Jesus. So, all of the Christian life, then, is about becoming more like Jesus so that we might reflect and image and mirror God better and better and better. And the truth is that that doesn't happen all at once. It's an ongoing process. The Holy Spirit takes the broken pieces of our lives and he starts putting them back together. It happens over time. 
so that more and more and more we start to look a little bit like Jesus and we're able to show his love and his truth and his mercy and his justice and his compassion to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our family and the people in our city. Uh, what you need to hear this morning, though, is that you cannot live out your identity and purpose as an image bearer without Jesus. You cannot live out your identity and calling as an image bearer of God without him. You see, without his redeeming, restoring work in you, your mirror is still cracked and broken, and you will never be able to fix it or embody the God whose image that you are called to bear. We'll never be able to actually live for God and live for his glory until we acknowledge our sin, until we acknowledge that by nature and that by choice we have broken our mirror, which keeps us from accurately reflecting his image. And so we must surrender to him and to his power and to his grace, which we so badly need. And in communion, as we take it every week, what we are doing is we are remembering and celebrating that God came to restore us. That on the cross, he overcame the curse of sin and death. That we were once slaves to sin, but now in Christ we've been set free to live in light of being God's purpose-built image bearers. You see the bread, it reminds us of Jesus' body which was broken for us as he lived the life that we did not live, as he imaged God perfectly as we should have. And the drink reminds us of Jesus' blood which was shed for us as he paid the price for all of the ways that you and I have marred the image of God in us and in others. Communion, it does not make us right with God. It does not save us. The Bible is clear that faith in the person and the work of Jesus is the only thing that changes our status and our standing with God. So what we are doing as communion is we are proclaiming the gospel. We are reminding ourselves and we are reminding one another about who God is and all that he has done and about who he has made us to be. And if you are here today and you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, I just want you to hear, I'm so glad you are here. I'm, I am so genuinely glad you are here. But since communion is about celebrating and remembering the gospel and it's about celebrating our relationship with God that we have because of our faith in the person and the work of Jesus. I would encourage you to refrain from partaking in communion. I don't want to feel like I don't want you to feel like your actions are not in line with what you say that you believe. Instead, my hope and my prayer for you this morning is that you might take hold of Jesus. He is the one that you need. He is the one who restores your broken mirror so that you might reflect God's image as you were meant and called to do. Communion might not be right for you this morning, but Jesus is and this church is. We'd love to join you and help you walk as you figure out what that means. But if you've trusted Jesus and believed the gospel this morning, then during our time of worship, go back, take communion, but do it as a celebration, not as a somber of religious activity. Do it as a celebration, as a reminder of all that God has done for you and all that he has made you to be in him, as a reminder of the value and the dignity and the worth that you have as his image bears, of the incredible life-giving purpose and calling that you have as his image bear, as the, as the transforming representative that you have as his bear, image bear who relates to the rest of creation on his behalf. And as you do, I would just encourage you, talk with God. Ask him to show you how the image of God needs to fundamentally inform and transform your identity and your purpose and your relationships with creation. Ask him if there are ways and places in which you need to repent. 
and ask him to empower you by his spirit to live out your identity and your calling as his image bearers for your good, but more than anything, for his great glory. To that end, let us pray. Jesus, we are, we are humbled to come before you this morning. God, we are humbled that in your mercy and in your grace you would call us image bearers of you. God, we don't deserve that. We have not earned it. We have absolutely not proved ourselves worthy of it. God, but we have it because of you. Jesus, we are so grateful that, that that radically changes who we are. It changes how we relate to ourselves. It changes how we relate to you. It changes how we relate to the rest of creation. God, and we just say we need you to cause those truths to sink deep into our hearts. God, we need you to be the one who restores our broken mirror so that we might reflect you as we should and as we are called to do, God. And I pray that as you are at work in doing that in us, God, that you would give us life and joy in ways that we have never had before. God, I'm so grateful that life lived for you is the best life of all. God, empower us to live for you. Empower us to image your son Jesus and so doing image you. God, for your glory and for our good, we pray these things. Amen.